I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you really wanted to do something, but then when you started doing it, you're like, no, this is like, this cost, the cost is too high. I'm, um, uh, I, I'm thinking of things like, um, how many of us, when we were in uh, elementary school or middle school, we were like, we're going to be doctors? Anybody? I was going to be a doctor, the greatest doctor ever. And then you, uh, you take courses like organic chemistry in college, and you're like, seriously, no, bro. I am, I'm, I'm going to be a communications major. Um, uh, how many of you have had that happen with like a diet? You know, like, I'm doing it. This is the year, this is the month, this is the day. It's starting on Monday. I set my clothes out. I'm going to go exercise, and there's... There's dew on the ground, and everybody knows that's not safe to drive when there's dew on the ground. So we're going to start Tuesday, right? How many of you have got, with your career, like you got the job that you wanted, when you got the job that you wanted, you're like, no, I don't want this job anymore. I remember uh, Tony Campolo, who was a professor at Eastern for a long time, his friend Charlie that taught in the English department, one day just quit. Just quit. He was like, in the middle of a semester, quit. He was like, I'm done. And got a job as a mailman. And Tony tracked him down one time. And he came to him and he was like, what's wrong? He was like, oh, I can't do it. The kids are killing me, man. I just, it eats me up every day inside. And he was like, seriously? You're the only PhD mailman I know. <laughs> and he's like, uh, there aren't many of us. There aren't many of us. Well, it's funny that way in, in life, in school, in work, even in like the Gospels with Jesus. Uh, one guy came up to Jesus one time. Jesus rode, said, he, he took, gave orders to go to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this was a big deal. Like Jesus was hitting the big time. If you had a teacher of the law follow you, that was like big stuff. It was like a number of years ago when the world-renowned uh, philosopher, the Christian philosopher, Dallas Willard, began following me on Twitter. I tell you, for two weeks, I was like, hey man, what's going on? Good, how's your job? Dallas Willard's following me on Twitter, right? And I was like, if Dallas Willard is following me, he's obviously doing it because of the incredible, pithy life um, aphorisms and the insights that I deliver to the masses every day. Like this one, this is probably one of my best. Russia's song, Spirit of the Radio, is the jam to have on while cleaning the house. Right? Like, now you understand why Dallas Willard would want to follow me. And it was the same thing in the first century. If you had a teacher of the law follow you, that was a big deal. Then other people were going to follow you. And Jesus had to think, if I just let him follow me, then, then I'm, I'm going I'm to be able to reach everybody. Well, that didn't impress Jesus at all. Just like Dallas Willard following me. I, I DM'd him. And I was like, dude, Dallas, get out of the NFC East, bro. I got, that's going to shock you. I got the same great response first service to that joke. Yeah. Jesus was not impressed at all. He was like, I got to tell you, foxes have dens and birds have nests. Do you ever have foxes in your yard? 
we have foxes that come into our property, right? And, and every morning it's like, you know, a mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom. And you have to be over 40 to get that reference. But every morning, like uh, the groundhogs come out and the foxes come out. And it's like, who's going to win? What Jesus is saying is, hey, if you're a fox, you have a hard life. But you're going to have it even harder than a fox if you follow me. Foxes have dens and birds have nests. The son of man has no place to lay his head. Remember, this is a teacher of the law that said, I will follow you wherever you go. But somehow, in conversation with Jesus, he realized after further discussion, this is not really what I signed up for. Second story, another, this guy was a disciple of Jesus' said, a disciple said, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, but first let me go and bury my father. Now, we're told that's a pretty good thing. I, I just lost my father recently. And so to go up to Jesus and, and like you, you, you're, you're, you, you lose your father and like you want to go bury him. And, but then Jesus comes along and you're like, I'm going to catch up with you. I'm going to catch up with you. Um, I'll meet you down in Tiberias or, um, or maybe it's, uh, farther south in Bethshean or maybe even Jerusalem. I'll find you. I just have to go bury my father. And what did Jesus say? Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. <coughs> at first glance, I was like, I would want to take a swing at Jesus, honestly. But it's harsh, but not for the reasons we think. See, more than likely what was happening, the guy said, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. First, let me bury my father. And his father was standing there in good health. Because in the ancient Near East, if you were the oldest son, you would have to, you were given family responsibilities. And your job essentially was to watch over your parents as they age. A number of years ago, if you were here, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, have a conversation with Dr. Shabir Ali, Muslim imam, wonderful person, had an opportunity at lunch to get him, get to know him better. I, I told everybody, I'm going to be nice in, in church, but at lunch, we're taking the gloves off and we're going to go for it. And we did. It was, it was really, really fun. He was really bright. But uh, I, he told this story about, I was like, how did you get to Canada? He was like, uh, I was uh, from uh, Guyana in South America and my parents wanted to move to Canada. But they, when they got there, and we all got settled, and I got a job and everything, my parents were like, we hate it here. We want to go back to Guyana. And he said, like an obedient oldest son, I went back with my parents to Guyana until my dad passed away. And then I came back to Canada. And that's what this guy is saying. Jesus is like, listen... The kingdom of God is so absolutely essential right now, the mission that we're on. There are other people in your family that can care for your father, and they're doing a valuable thing. But I'm also now calling you to do a valuable thing. Do you ever felt that Jesus was calling you to do something like didn't make any sense? Like if you feel honestly that it makes sense to follow Jesus all the time, it's probably not Jesus you're following. Right, the, the times when you're really confused and the time you're like, this doesn't make sense and you're like, I want to give up. That's probably the time where you know you're actually following Jesus. There's a third guy. Third guy comes up to Jesus and he said, man came up to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to uh, get eternal life? And Jesus is like, bro, seriously, you know the answer to this question? 
Keep the commandments. And he's like, which ones? And Jesus is like, come on, come on. Didn't you go to synagogue? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not uh, steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors yourself. All these I've kept, the man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, honestly, if you want to be perfect, go clean out your house. Sell it all and then sell your house. And then come and follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. And what did the guy do? Did he do it? He's kind of like us, right? What, if Jesus was here today and he was like, go sell everything that you have, I would have some questions for the Lord, right? Like, okay, well, after I sell everything, do you want me to not live in a house again? So then I've got to go and make more money, now I'm gonna go and, and buy a house and the stuff that I need because I don't have a lot of stuff, clothes and a car and that sort of thing. By the way, can I ask you a question? Burning question in the Jones household. I believe that Jesus wants me to get a C5 Corvette from the years 1998 to 2004. I have a Jeep Wrangler. I can make bank selling anybody, right? We can sell our used car cars right now and make a lot of money. I can sell my Jeep and get a Corvette. Corvette's only 10,500, right? Which is like cheaper than all the cars that you all drive. So you can't like, oh, he's living like a television. It's a $10,000 car, people. And so it's a fire engine red coupe. I pull off the T-tops. The odometer goes to 200 miles an hour. Raise your hands if you wouldn't mind it if your pastor drove a fire engine red Corvette. Raise your hand. Wait, is this a yes? I can? I can. I can. When you see my wife, look at her and say, it's 10 grand. Come on. Come on. You're making money from the Jeep, right? And so I have these questions for Jesus about stuff. What am I going to Yeah, okay. I'll sell it all. I'm all in. But, and I think that this is what this guy was doing. A smart business guy. And it just didn't make sense. It was like one of these things again about following Jesus. I'll do it, but it just doesn't make sense. And Jesus is like, bro, you're out. Because the mission is now. The mission is front of us. Following Jesus, it's so easy. Wouldn't you say it's so easy to get off track with things that are really important. Eating well, relationships, work, everything. It's so easy to veer off mission. And what Jesus said is you have to get in the mode of being of like, I'm gonna do it now. I'm not gonna question it, I'm gonna go for it, I'm gonna do it. Now, the real question that I have is whatever happened to these people? Whatever happened to the teacher of the law? Whatever happened to the man that didn't want to sell his land? Whatever happened to all of these people? Well, we know that there were all kinds of people Jesus interacted with, right? The woman at the well, blind Bartimaeus, the woman healed with an issue of blood, the centurion whose boy passed away, Nicodemus the Pharisee. There are all of these people that, that we read about and encounter Jesus. What New Testament scholars and historians tell us, look at this. We know about these stories because these people later became followers of Jesus and active in the early church. Raise your hand if you were with us when we met in the movie theater. Okay, look around. Right, there's some. If someone was writing a history of our church and wanted to know 
about what it was like in the early days. When we're sitting there, there are mice under the sea, and, and there are rat traps. I, it was terrible, but it was fun, too. It was a great time. But if you wanted to know what it was like in the movie theater days, what would you do? You would talk to these people, right? Historians tell us that these people that Jesus encountered in the Gospels most of them more than likely were people that were active today in the church, in the early church, when Luke, the historian, went and interviewed all of these people. Now, what bearing does that have on our story? We'll get to that here in a second. So we're in this series called Mission Critical. We're going through the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. We have a few weeks to go. Uh, first week, I talked about the mission Second week, Frank talked about the very first sermon that was preached, did a fantastic job. Lisa did a great job last week spelling out what the new community looked like. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at the church about a month or two later. Surely it went sideways then. Human beings, we all have the ability to mess up good things, don't we? And so you would think a couple months later, this thing is not looking good. Well, look what happened. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. And that is always my prayer for our church. We have differences, and differences are good. Different viewpoints are good. Different backgrounds are good. But what makes a church great is when everybody is all on the same page for the mission. For the mission. And because they were, it says... No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. Raise your hand if you're willing to do that. Because of Jesus, I'm willing to share everything that I have. Okay? Raise your hand if you have season tickets to the Eagles and you are willing to share with your pastor. Okay. That's a beautiful thing, right? They're sharing. They're willing to do it. Now, I'm not willing just to have someone come up on the street and start asking me for stuff. I got to feel like there's a reason behind it, right? And for the early church, the reason there weren't any people in need, it was because the mission became greater than their stuff. And it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. And then it says in verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. Is it true of our church? No needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as, as they had need. They didn't have like um, written contracts at that day. So the contract was in Semitic culture that you would sell something and you would go and you would place it at their feet. And that was a sign if there were two, one or two witnesses or two or three witnesses, this was a legal transaction. We didn't have to sign our name. Why? Because we're all illiterate. We'd have to put an X. You put it at someone's feet, two or three witnesses see it, done. And so we're told that there was a guy named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. This Barnabas, guy Joseph, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Who is this guy? It's the first time we heard about him. We're given a few clues. Number one, we're told he's from Cyprus, right? 
Joseph a Libright from Cyprus. Everybody know what, where Cyprus is? It's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, third largest island. And so he came from Cyprus. He was a transplant. Any transplants in our church? All right, we have lots of them. That, that's what makes our church incredible. People from Britain. We have people from the Bahamas. We have people from New Jersey. I mean, we have everywhere. Second, it says that Joseph is a Levite. What is a Levite? Um, Levite was a priest. And there were three kinds of Levites in the first century temple. There were chief priests that were, Jesus always like got into trouble with the high priest, right? These people ticked him off big time. And then there were the priests and the Levites. Kind of think of it in a mega church. Here are the senior pastor and leaders, and here are the other pastors, and here are um, the worship leaders. This is like CCV worship. And it's a terrible, terrible um, comparison because none of these people were paid, and they were all business leaders. And 150 years before Jesus came on the scene, they basically bartered for power because they were all businessmen as well as working in the temple. Think of it as if Bill Gates and Rick Warren had a baby, all right? If Elon Musk and Billy Graham were the same person, that's what a chief priest is. And so Levites had three jobs. Their first job is they, they played music. They were the worship leaders. The second job is that they did the menial tasks, like moving stuff around and that sort of thing. These people were in meetings. It was these people who did all the heavy lifting. But the Levites were also the temple police. They were the bouncers. I know none of you have ever been in a bar, but let's say if you happen to have gone, know a friend that went to a bar and they had a bouncer that was checking your idea when you're going in, that's what the Levites were. And so people would sign up to be a Levite and they would say, okay, great. You want to be a worship guy? Great. You, you could be a Levite, yeah. And uh, you want to be a Levite? Great. You're going to be on the, the um, setup team and, and you're going to be a bouncer. That's what Barnabas was. Now, everybody thinks that Barnabas was the son of encouragement because it, like, and it comes from Aramaic. Can you bring this up? Will so Aramaic bar son of and then Nabas encouragement. Uh, uh, remember when uh, Jesus said to Peter, "Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. You were the son of encouragement." Why did they call Barnabas the son of encouragement? How many of you know people who are really encouraging to you? Um, do they usually have personality? You know what I'm saying? Hey. Lean over to the person next to you and say, have you lost weight? You look fabulous. You look fabulous. I love that. Is that, is that, is that, that perfume, is that like motor oil? What is that? I love the, the smell, right? And there are people that are like that, and usually you see through those people, and then once you get to know them. There are some people that are genuine. They just have these gregarious personalities, and they're wonderful. But by and large, if you try to act, it comes off cheesy, right? Barnabas wasn't like that. Barnabas had a strong personality. In fact, we're told in Acts chapter 15, he had such a strong personality, 
He stood up to the guy who had the strongest personality in the New Testament, the apostle Paul. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, Mark. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he deserted them at Pamphylia. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark. Paul took Silas. Have you ever met someone that's like a really dominant personality? It's, like, it's kind of hard to stand up to those people. Barnabas, no problem. So why would they call him the, the, the son of encouragement? Why would they call him that? It's, they called him that very simply. The text tells us because he sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That one act of generosity, people looked at him a Levite, the reason that they said he was a Levite is not to tell you that he was a bouncer or anything, but a Levite was someone that was middle class. This was someone that wasn't loaded. And he took land, which in the first century was where all your wealth was. You either buried wealth in a field. Jesus told all kinds of parables about finding the treasure in a field, right? You either buried it in a field or put it under your house or you bought land because no one can steal your land. He came and he gave the land. And people looking at him were like, my gosh, man, that is so inspiring. Because he just gave everything. So my question is this. Was Joseph, nicknamed Barnabas, the young man mentioned in Matthew 19 that approached Jesus and then walked away? Was he the guy that met Jesus, walked away because the, the price tag was too high? For following Jesus? And if he was that guy, I wonder what happened. Did he come back later and follow Jesus? Or did he go back to his job in Jerusalem at the temple and witness firsthand Jesus being betrayed, beaten, and then crucified? Was he the guy in the garden that went and arrested Jesus? Those would have been Levites. Is he one of the sources for Luke's material in Luke's gospel that for the arrest scene when Jesus was before Pilate, when Jesus was before the chief priest, when Jesus was beaten, handed over the soldiers, and then crucified. Someone had to be there for that source material to be accurate. Was he the person that saw all of these? And after that, did he see Jesus then on the cross give everything, which is significantly more? Giving up your life is significantly more than giving away all of your possessions. You can get possessions back. You're not getting your life back. Did he see that and say, Amen, man. He did that for me. Was he? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But something happened to him. I see three challenges for us today. One is obvious. The generosity challenge. The people in the early church were generous because they watched Jesus be generous with them and giving up his life. And so fall, fall is now upon us. Our ministry season, we kick off our ministry season every single year in the fall. And we need to get back in the habit of giving. I don't know what you give. You don't see me in the hallway. I wonder if he knows if I give or not. That's between you and God. Do you think I would ever want to be in that position? I want you to give out of one heart and one mind because you know that Jesus is calling us to do things. And so maybe during the summer you got out of the habit of giving. Okay, let's start again. 
Let's get back in the habit of giving consistently. So if you have a cell phone, I want you to look at your cell phone. Is Jesus, does Jesus mean more to you than your cell phone? Then give what you would pay every single month for your cell phone. Is it your car payment? If you have a payment, is it your house? Is it Whatever it is, how significant is Jesus to me in my life? Am I willing to show that? And here's the other thing. It's not just about giving to the church financially. It's about sharing our possessions. The word fellowship comes from, and Lisa talked last week about the Greek word koinonia, which means dirty. Have you ever been to a Po Folks restaurant? I went to a Po Folks restaurant in Atlanta. This was on, when I was in college. We were doing a trip. And I noticed in, my, in the, my glass, my soda, in the inner ring of the glass, there was like dried celery and stuff. And later on that night, after I had a soda or two, I started to get that gurgling sensation in your stomach. You know when it starts to come on and you start bargaining with Jesus. Jesus, I'm sorry for every sin I've ever committed in my life. You know, and you know it's coming out. You're like, Jesus, I swear. Because I, am I the only one that hates to throw up? I'll be sick all night long if it will keep me from throwing up. And I'll be like bargaining, dear Jesus, I'll start a church in Greenland. You tell me what to do. If you can keep me from vomiting, I'm all in, right? But that night, uh, after eating that meal when I was in college, I got sick. And uh, everybody on our team actually got sick. And it was because of the dirty glasses. If you go to our staff offices, we have a coffee machine. I'll drink coffee. But we have a coffee machine. And then we have mugs that people can use. Is there anything grosser than those mugs? I do not. I want to have my own mug because how many people, like, got to get in there. and But that's what the, the word koinonia means. It means, like, you're taking away the mask. And underneath of it is, there's all of our stuff we're sharing. In a community that's of one heart and one mind, we're generous. And there's stuff that happens all the time here where you never hear me talk about it, of simple acts of generosity, people giving um, alms and people sharing stuff. And so um, I I joked about the Corvette. I'm not going to get a Corvette, Um, uh, even if it is $10,000. Um, but I have stuff that I've looked in my basement that I'm not using. And I'm like, this is stuff God has given me the ability to, to work and to be paid. And now I have like a couch and some shelves and stuff like that. Like that's not even being used, but I could go and give those to someone or I could go and I could sell them and give those to people who are in need. And so I just want us to be thinking about that. What could we do to be generous to each other in our times of needs. Second, a commitment challenge. Let's admit it, COVID threw us for a loop, right? And you knew, online people, I was gonna mention you in this. I can't tell, I've lost, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, I've talked to well over 100 people that I bump into in the community. And they're like, I have to apologize. I gotta say, it's just easier watching you in my pajamas. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. So maybe that's you. I want to say for those of you who are joining us online, you're a part of our church. I get it. And if you're sick, if you're unable to be here, if you're immunocompromised, whatever, we totally get that. 
But if seven days a week you're doing exactly everything as you normally would interact with people and you don't have a mask, all this kind of stuff, and you're like, seriously, Sunday morning, I'm going to get sick? Come on. But let me talk to those of us who are here. Like, we need to amp it up in our hearts. Can I teach you a prayer? I pray this prayer. Whenever I am... um, out and about, I'm in my car and I'm seeing people. I will pray this prayer. God, give me your heart for people in this area. I'll I'll drive down the road, I'll see someone running. Give me your heart for this person running. Give me your heart for the person that is serving this meal. Give me your heart for the person running this business. Uh, on, On the way to church, I'll go, I'll drive by a golf course and I'll say, God, please cause these people to shank it in the woods because they're skipping church. And then give me your heart for the people who lost their balls, right? And, and what happens is that the mission is not just about us. It's important. It's important that the mission is about us. But first and foremost, it's about the people who aren't here yet. And so what I'm praying is that everybody here at some point this fall is that you would basically step out of your cubicle and go into that office or go across to your neighbor, go across the street, maybe you pull out your phone and text. Let's just invite people to meet this amazing Jesus that has changed our lives, right? Here's the third one. I see a a mission mindset challenge. I see a mission mindset challenge that we need to actually get our edge back individually and as a church. We need to get our edge back. The great spiritual writer Elton Trueblood said, the essential experiment we need to make today in our, in our day is an experiment in radical Christianity. Once a church was a brave and revolutionary fellowship changing the course of history by the introduction of discordant ideas, today it's a place where people go and sit on comfortable benches waiting patiently until time to go home to their Sunday dinners. Many have refused to join the church, not because the church has demanded too much, but because it has demanded too little. Their criticism is not that the church is too different from the world, but that it is too much like the world. The humiliating truth is that no Christian fellowship has ever truly challenged them. And you want to know how you get your fire back? I want everybody to make this commitment sometime this fall that you're going to ask some people that you see here on Sunday morning, you're going to ask them to go out to lunch. How many of you grew up in churches were like, that's what you did after church? Okay, a few people, right? Like, that's what you did. Like, the joke was, well, you know the Baptist church let out because there's a line a mile long, right? But I want us to be open, to actively engage other people, to open up our circle, to open up our groups, to engage people, because as Lisa talked about last week, you take a log, two logs that are burning, separate them, they go out, put them together, and there's a fire. So I want us to begin finding people and challenging each other and get our edge back. Because listen, what I think many of the disciples of Jesus eventually find is that what Barnabas found, that the cost of following Jesus, the hardship, the uncertainty, the danger is worth it. Because the alternative of living a self-centered, self-gratifying life is so mind-numbing and incredibly boring that there's nothing like being on mission with other people who have the same same mind and same heart to follow Jesus. 
And so God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our community. We thank you for the people that we serve arm in arm with. We thank you that you went to the cross for us and you modeled for us what it looks like to be in fellowship and to care for one another and to meet each other's needs. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.